and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap between what you believe and what you actually experience. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, Cincinnati, Ohio, welcoming my friend and your host from Denver, Michael John Cusick. Hi, Michael. It's good to see you again. Hello, sir. Great to be with you again. And uh, we are in uh, a series of episodes, podcasts related to your book, Surfing for God. In just a minute, we're going to continue along the lines of understanding freedom. And today's uh, episode will be in part two, so I encourage uh, those that are listening today to uh, make sure that you listen and download uh, part one, in which we talked about freedom in, and uh, today we're going to be talking about freedom from and freedom to, um, but in the next couple weeks, Michael, you're taking part in a, uh, a conference in Wichita, Kansas, titled The Apprentice Gathering. If our listeners are not familiar uh, with that, tell us a little bit about the the conference. Yeah, the Apprentice Gathering, this is the 10th year that it's gone on, and uh, James Brian Smith, my friend Jim Smith, who's been on the podcast a couple of different times, he's the founder and director of the Apprentice Gathering, and they are all about spiritual formation and what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. And so this is an annual conference, and this year Jim's invited me to do a keynote talk on the material that I'm writing about currently around attachment and our spirituality and attachment to God. Uh, I'm doing a day-long workshop with Kelly Gray, who's one of our intensive therapists, on the Enneagram and shame, which should be fascinating. And then I'm doing uh, a shorter talk on sex, soul, and God. And so it'll be a really busy three days, but there will be a lot of other nationally known speakers uh, speaking into healing, restoration, spiritual formation. And my favorite thing about this is the entire Restoring the Soul team is going to be there. Uh, we're shutting down the offices. We're going to have a book table, a meet and greet, and just invite any listener who has been drawn to what we're doing or spiritual formation to check out the conference. It's, it's really going to be good. So that's uh, September 23rd through the 25th in Wichita, Kansas, and it'll take place at uh, Friends University. If anybody wants to look it up online, uh, the website is ApprenticeInstitute.org. Again, that's ApprenticeInstitute.org. So let's get into uh, the topic at hand, uh, Michael, understanding freedom. Uh, you kicked us off our last episode, part one, understanding freedom in, uh, but take us through now to uh, freedom from. Yeah, so the idea of freedom from is where most people start when they think of the biblical idea of freedom. Um, and and so it's freedom from something that I've been addicted to, that I've been compulsively struggling with, something that has me in chains, where there's bondage. And of course, as I unpack in Surfing for God, the, the richest biblical word for what we call addiction is a snare, or to be ensnared. And um, if you have never seen a snare and we used to go out in the forest or the woods and, and make little snares with pieces of rope and put a carrot in the middle, hoping that a rabbit would step in it and we would try to snare it. And it was highly ineffective and we never caught anything. Uh, but that's where I learned what a snare was. And so you step into it. And when you step into it, 
the snare is set off and it tightens around you. And the harder you try to get out, the tighter it actually becomes. And so this freedom from, if someone says, I'm free, I'm free because Christ set me free, it's often I was doing this and now I'm not doing that. And it's obviously important to get free so that we can move into the life we want. But that's my point, is that freedom is like a coin with two sides. The coin itself is this freedom in, freedom in Christ. I was reading recently in um, Galatians chapter 2, where Paul is talking about circumcision. So he's saying not even Titus was circumcised, and then describes that there were false believers in Galatia who infiltrated the ranks of Paul. And why did they do that? Because they wanted to spy on the freedom that Paul and the authentic believers had in Christ. And what they wanted to do by spying on Paul in this, quote, scandalous freedom was to make them slaves. And all through the book of Galatians, Paul is saying, you're not a slave any longer. You're not in chains. You don't have to uh, stay in this lifestyle. You don't have to stay under the master of sin. But I thought it was fascinating that someone came to spy on the freedom. In other words, the freedom was so compelling that Titus wasn't circumcised, but it was so compelling that these people are like, hey, what what is this? And freedom was the mark of being an authentic believer. So freedom from and freedom to on this coin, these two sides of the coin, which is freedom in Christ. So freedom from, let me start with another verse, Brian, and and, and as we've had this whole conversation about freedom over a couple of episodes now, my mind has just been filled with scripture that especially as a young believer in the midst of my addiction, I would go to these passages and I would memorize these passages with the idea that, you know, if I can just get this deeper inside of me, if I can just figure out exactly what this means, then focus on this, I will be free. And one of those verses is Proverbs chapter 5, 22. Again, the words of Scripture are alive and active. These are the words of God, but how I misapplied them. Proverbs five twenty two says, The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. And so I would memorize that, and I'd say, well, God, I'm evil, and I'm wicked, and I'm ensnared by pornography and lust, and so Jesus, break these cords, break these cords of sin, because they're, they're holding on to me, and I can't let go. See, back then, my only model of change was willpower. Willpower was my ability to choose my ability to be disciplined, my ability to do what's right by flexing my volitional muscles, the muscles of my will, and choosing to do what's right. And so I would say, God, um, I'm evil, I'm wicked, and these cords are here, and they're holding me, and so I'm going to choose now to not turn to the sin. But I was kind of contradicting myself because I was identifying that these cords were there, these chains, as it says in other places, and I was unable to break free, but I was still wanting to use my willpower to break this chain. And that's like 
someone taking a big heavy metal chain in their hands and pulling it tight and just saying, okay, on the count of three, I'm going to really break this chain just because I want to. And the myth of willpower with addictions and compulsions is that we can get to a place where we exert enough willpower. It was David Benner who in his trilogy, Surrender to Love, said that discipline and willpower can be a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And so anyone with an addiction or a compulsion tries to use their willpower as the master, as the way to overcome, because after all, doesn't Galatians tell us that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control? So God, help me to muster up enough self-control so I can use my willpower to overcome this. But Benner goes on to make the distinction between willpower and willingness. Willingness is not me holding this chain in my hands tightly, trying to pull it apart. It's me opening my hands and allowing the chain to rest in my open palm and saying, God, I am willing for you to take this as you show me, as you teach me, as you expose what this is, why it's there, and then begin to take my heart in another direction, and this is the freedom too, where I want something more. And so the freedom from is the breaking of those cords, and the freedom from doesn't happen initially by willpower, but by willingness, not by strength of overcoming, but by weakness, where Second Corinthians 12 tells us that it's in our weakness that we are strong. And I'd be remiss to not uh, at least refer to the first step in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that step is that we declare that we are powerless over fill-in-the-blank, whatever our addiction is, and that our life had become unmanageable. So on this journey, there's this point where there is this breaking of cords, where it's no longer willpower or white-knuckling, but where something inside of us shifts because of healing, because of a wound that's healed, because of uh, an attachment wound where there is now a connection to God and to others, where our needs can be met and where we have a secure base. There is trauma being healed where we're no longer reacting. We're in a fight-or-flight mode. There is healing of the lies that we believe, the lies of shame, the different lies that we've been told about who God is or who uh, who we are, and those are always the two big lies. Uh, there's There's healing of our body that as those other components of who we are are healed, that our neural pathways are healed, that our nervous system is healed. And then as we experience this freedom and move into the freedom too, we develop not just new coping strategies, but we actually begin to taste, to see, to hear, and to experience something that is better, deeper, truer, richer than what it was that we were settling for in our addiction. In Isaiah 55, God says through the prophet, Come all you who are thirsty, come you who have no money, come buy and eat. And he uses the phrase, the richest of fare, wine and bread and milk. And so there's this transference from drinking just water 
to wine and milk, which was a pretty big and important distinction in that desert uh, geography. And there's this transition from drinking uh, rancid water to drinking living water. And the point there is that how we get that is not by laboring or promising that we'll pay back whatever we took by actually declaring that we don't have the money to buy it, which in and of itself is another kind of freedom in. The freedom in Christ is that everything that my heart is thirsty and hungry for, Jesus makes available when I declare that I'm bankrupt, that I'm broke, that I can't pay for it. And so I want to uh, talk just a little bit more about this freedom, too, by reading a passage from the book of Galatians in the message, but I think we need to take a break. Yeah, Michael, we're up against a uh, break here, but I, I've got a question uh, for you, and this may be something that can be answered now. I certainly don't want to an- have you answer it prematurely, or maybe you know it can happen towards the end of the broadcast. As we're recording uh, this particular episode, we're on the cusp of uh, 4th of July weekend, and oftentimes you'll hear um, the, the, the phrase, freedom was not free. And so is that statement something that we, uh, you and I, as, as Christians would understand, uh, that, that freedom is, either is free or freedom comes at a cost, and who paid that cost? So, is that something that uh, that we can talk about uh, later on in the episode here? You bet. All right, great. Well, let's let's take a quick break. You're listening to Restoring the Soul. I'm your producer Brian Beatty, along with Michael John Cusick, and we'll be right back. You already know we live in a pornified world, but most of us are at a loss for how to navigate this sea of temptation. It's either ceaseless striving on the one hand or giving in to brokenness on the other. But doesn't the gospel offer us another way? The truth is that our sexual struggles are not actually about sex, but about a misdirected, God-given longing for deep connection. Dig deeper in my book, Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. Hey, welcome back to Restoring the Soul. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, along with Michael John Cusick. And hey, let's pick up where we left off, uh, Michael. And, you know, we're talking about freedom uh, in this episode and as it relates to it being free. Is our freedom free? Our freedom in Christ is absolutely free. And I have heard uh, people over the years in sermons or even in books say, you know, our freedom in Christ is not free because it cost God a great deal. Um, so first of all, on on the obvious level, our freedom in Christ is free because, as any evangelical would say, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you know, we're saved by grace and by faith in Christ, not through our works. And so we know that, and we know Titus 3, 5, that uh, we are saved not by our deeds done in righteousness, but through faith and through Jesus. And so um, in the regard that there's nothing we can do for it, we are free. But then that's where people will often say, but it cost God a great deal, and it cost Jesus his life. Um, so even there, freedom is still free. And back to the, the verse in um, Isaiah 55, it is the gospel preached there where how you get the goods in God's economy 
is by declaring your bankruptcy. And that's when he opens the storehouse. And the, the other thing about how it costs Jesus, it costs the Father, it costs the Holy Spirit, certainly there's a pain and a grief when any member of the Trinity, the Father and the Spirit, seeing Jesus suffering. And yet the very nature of God is that there's never any lack. There is no deficit within the Trinity. So that when one loves the other, the Father says, this is my Son, glorify him. And Jesus says, all I want is to glorify the Father. And the Holy Spirit says, all I want is for people to see Jesus so that people can see the Father. Wherever they are giving and pouring out, which is the constant, always reality of the Trinity, there's never a lack or a loss. It's like a drop of water flows from the reservoir of divine life, and just as that water separates to go out into the world, the reservoir itself expands. And so freedom as we know it, I don't think the Trinity was sitting around saying, you know, this is really going to cost us to send Jesus to earth, and we know that he's going to die and it's going to be a brutal death, and um, this is really costing us, but let's go ahead and do it anyway. In our human way of thinking about it, that's the only way we understand. But that that kind of thinking doesn't exist within the Trinity. It's like, well, of course we would do this. This is a way to have deeper connection and deeper fellowship. This isn't a loss for us, the Trinity. This is a gain. And that's the very reality that we see all throughout uh, the kingdom of God, that what seems like a loss is a gain. It's as if the Trinity could have. Now, they didn't do this. This is totally extra-biblical, but we know the passages in the four Gospels, three of them speak of Jesus' invitation to be a disciple, and when you lose your life, you will find it. And I can imagine the Trinity uh, having a conversation saying, hey, um, we're going to temporarily lose something, but we're going to get back so much more. There's going to be reconnection with our kids, and they're going to have a brand new picture of what we are actually like. So that life inside of the Trinity, I don't think they would consider it um, a loss or having paid a price. Now, did Jesus in a human body pay a price upon the cross? Absolutely. He paid the price with his life and with that physical suffering but there, there was ultimately a gain in that. Absolutely. Uh, Michael, well said. And so take us now back to uh, Freedom 2. You had alluded to, uh, to the passage in Galatians 5 that really helps to, uh, um, to help us understand this. So take us there if you can. In Galatians 5 verse 1, uh, Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So this whole idea of freedom, that you're free in Christ, and there's this process of undoing, of breaking the chains, of the cords being cut, of the freedom from the addiction, the compulsion, the habitual sin, and then stand firm. Don't go back to that way where you're either in the freedom in believing that you have to somehow be better, do better, you know, go a longer stretch of time without looking at porn 
or somehow show God that you really mean it this time, don't be burdened by that. Just be free and be loved. And that's actually what creates the freedom from. The freedom to is into a place of being and becoming. And if in the freedom in space, we discover who God is, that he is far more merciful, gracious, and kind, and gentle, and patient with me than I ever imagined. Freedom in is really a discovery about God. And the freedom from and to is really a discovery about who we are. Because in this process of the cords being cut, we begin to to discover about ourselves that our heart of stone has been turned to a heart of flesh, that God has put his spirit in us, and because of that, that we now have the want-tos instead of the have-tos. We start to discover that our heart really is hungry and thirsty for righteousness, not just for the absence of the chain. And so this may be a shortened podcast, but I want to do what I think will be the most powerful thing of giving a picture of this freedom too, where we discover who we are. And that is to read a passage out of Galatians 5 in the message. And this is a lengthy passage, but I'm going to read it for listening. And I invite people after this podcast to come back and to spend some time in Galatians 5, but specifically in the message, because it's so poetic and it speaks so much to this idea of freedom in, freedom from, and freedom to. And so Galatians 5, verses 13 and onward, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want and to destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. And so just a quick comment there before I move into the meat of this. This idea of freedom too is stated very, very succinctly here when Paul says, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. And this is not a statement encouraging codependence of just give, 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 give at the expense of your own needs. That's actually unhealthy spirituality. The freedom to serve one another in love is this idea of now that I'm experiencing freedom in and freedom from, now I want to move outward. I want my heart to overflow. It's the picture of Psalm 23.3, my cup overflows. And as we move toward God with a new freedom, as we begin to experience the deep longings beneath the compulsions and the addictions. And as we begin to feel full and whole, we're moving outward toward others and toward God in a way where we're becoming more and more of who we are. So again, the two sides of the coin, we're now on the side freedom too is that of becoming. And so here is this beautiful, beautiful passage Galatians 5. 
It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Let me just say for a moment that when Paul is saying you won't inherit God's kingdom, in no way is he saying you won't go to heaven or you're not saved. Just like Jesus in the New Testament, whenever you hear the phrase kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's not talking about the future going to heaven. It's talking about the present heaven happening here. And so what Paul's saying, that if you're caught up in all this depersonalizing people into rivals, and if you're caught up in repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, and a mental and emotional garbage, then there's no way that you can actually experience the love and the fullness and the embrace of God until you stop and say, I want more, and I now need a freedom from. So all of those words are the process of the bondage and the cords. And for those who have asked again and again, okay, so how do I actually practically step into this, and what in the world does this mean spiritually? Here it is, Galatians five twenty-two and onward. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life. Serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, but able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. So there it is. That's commonly known as the contrast between the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, or the fruit of the law and the fruit of the freedom that we have in Christ. And then he goes on to say, and I won't read these words directly, but how legalism, following the law, or we might say trying to use our willpower, is helpless in bringing about this kind of freedom and this kind of fruit, that it only gets in the way. And so, uh, Brian, I just want to invite people to ask God to awaken their hearts So many times in these conversations about surfing for God, we've talked about that it's not about trying harder, 
that it's not about redoubling our efforts. It's not about trying to get more accountability. And so one of the simple things that people can do is say, God, awaken my heart. I don't know what I really want or what I really long for. In fact, as I work with men, one of the most common statements that I hear around the idea of our desires and our longings is, well, I don't know what I want or what I long for. I don't really think I want much of anything other than to have a nice life and a happy wife. And so um, Psalm 38, David, all my longings lie open before you, God. My sighing is not hidden from you. And Some of us need to pray a prayer. God, my longings are buried or I'm out of touch with them and I don't know what they are, but awaken my longings for this kind of fruit, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. God, direct my eyes at you. Help me to fix my eyes on you, Jesus, and the story that you're writing in me, a story that's leading toward wholeness, a story that's leading toward me becoming an oak of righteousness to glorify you just by being who I am. So thank you for listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. What we're all about is helping couples and individuals get unstuck. You know how some people go to counseling or marriage therapy for months or even years and never really get anywhere? Our intensive programs help clients get unstuck in as little as two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.